Welcome to Lexia Talks, where we deliver the latest education news, teaching tips, and interviews with forward-thinking educators from across the country. I'm Carter, and today we're speaking with Dr. Karen Hennery, Director of English for Speakers of Other Languages program at Little Rock School District, which serves more than 21,000 students. Today's topic is educational equity, ensuring every student has the personalized support they need to be successful. For 21 years, Dr. Hennery has provided vision, management, and leadership to meet the needs of all English learners in her student population and their families. During the early weeks and months of the COVID pandemic, Little Rock School District stepped up to meet the unprecedented educational challenges it faced, in part by providing equitable access to proven technology-based solutions, such as Lexia Core 5 Reading, across the district. Hello, my name is Karen Henry, and I am the Director for ESOL and Multilingual Services in the Little Rock School District in Arkansas. First thing... What does educational equity look like to you in sort of its most ideal form? I think ideally, if we use the lens of educational equity, then as educators, we are ensuring that all of our students have the necessary scaffolds to allow them to access the educational pieces that are most appropriate to support their learning. So, for example, if a student needs internet access, as well as a device to access a resource, then within the educational realm, we should be providing that. The next student may not need internet access to access the same resource. So that's equitable in my mind if I provide one student with internet access and a device, and if the second student only needs the device, then it's equitable. It's not equitable to just say I've given everybody a device and, you know, we're giving you the same thing. So it has to be scaffolded based on the need of the child. That's educational equity in my mind. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's like much harder than it is just to, you know, say, well, everybody has this thing, you know. Correct. You can't say everybody has the same book. Well, maybe I need a book with visuals that support my understanding Or I need a book that has an audio component because I'm not a proficient reader. Just giving me the same math textbook that you gave the next student does not make it equitable. It's equal, Mm. but it's not equity. So how has the pandemic affected this goal of educational equity? Well, one of the first things that was glaring for us when our students left our classrooms a year ago we had to figure out very quickly, how are we going to be able to provide an equitable approach for all of our students? Because all of our students are not at home with all the resources that they need to access what we are providing. So if you pivoted to remote learning for students, your first consideration would have to be, can every student access the remote learning? What experiences do they have leading up to? And how do we scaffold them to support them as learners at home? It wasn't a perfect set of circumstances. And we really had to think really long and hard about how would this look to make this accessible for everyone once we reopened our schools in August. And one of the things that we had to do was to reach out to parents and start to teach parents 
how to leverage technology for their kids. It wasn't even enough to say, okay, we're going to get hotspots, we're going to get devices, we're going to have systems where the parents can sign up to get the device, we're going to make sure that it's information provided to the parents in a language they understand. We couldn't presume anything, you know, so we had to use, we had to reach back into some of those systems and say, okay, let's make some phone calls, let's send some text messages, because maybe our parents are not tech savvy to be online and reading some of the messaging platforms that are out there. So we're going to have to go back and do it kind of old school. And we're going to have to have classes for parents where we tell them you can come and learn how to use this platform that your students will learn from. So it wasn't enough to say we need to make sure the kids can access it, but we also needed to make sure that the parents could understand the technology to be able to say, oh, my child is supposed to log into this learning management system to get their lessons. And as a parent, I should have some familiarity with how they're able to log in. Because even if you had a kid who had internet access and a, and a device, if the parents didn't know, and I'm in kindergarten, and my parent is giving me virtual learning, or I'm, or I'm signed up to be a virtual student, we have the tools, but I still don't know how to do this because my mom doesn't know how to do this. So those are some things that we really had to look at in uh, my area to make sure that our parents could access what was there for their children and that the students could be able to log in and participate. So tell me about how you utilized, you know, Lexia Core 5. This school year, my district, prior to this year, we were using Lexia Core 5 on select campuses, not all of our elementary campuses. And this school year, the district committed to having Lexia Core 5 on every elementary campus, as well as a selection of secondary campuses um, got on board as well. So this was huge because we have had schools have, have had to pivot to virtual learning for everybody because there are cases at the school. So it could be an entire school that has to quarantine. It doesn't mean necessarily that the children became ill or their teachers were all sick. It just meant they were exposed and they had to quarantine. So using Lexia Core 5, which is elementary, and Lexia Power Up, which is the middle high school program, 6 through 12, we're able to assign lessons for students when they're home on these virtual days, whether it's because of a quarantine or regular virtual Friday. You can always integrate and utilize the platform because the students know how to use it really well now. And there are so many built-in supports and scaffolds that as a teacher, you can't run out of activities. So for example, on a virtual Friday, if I had a class of students that I was looking at, I could go into my students and say, oh, some of my students need some skill builders or some of my students have some Lexia lessons. I can reach out to my kids virtually on a Friday and deliver that lesson with them because it's a small group lesson for maybe two kids in my class or three kids need an extension on something. So it really, really, really has been I don't want to use the word of godsend, but it has been that gift within all this madness of a pandemic that we're dealing with that allows us to continue to deliver a supported piece for reading instruction. And, you know, there I've been in education more than 20 years, and I can assure you, um, nothing in my experience is out there that matches what Lexia does for us. So 
in my mind, it doesn't matter what challenges we have, whether kids can be in person or if they're at home learning, the learning will continue because we'll have a resource like Lexia. You know, you've touched on that there are equity issues in your district, but can you lay out maybe one or two of the top equity challenges that you have been trying to tackle? I think one that I know is, you know, and it, it's a tough one, and it has to do with that social and emotional impact mm-hmm. of the pandemic and what that has mm-hmm. done to the lives of some of our kids. And it's really hard to tap into this one because some of it is unknown and some of it is known. And it's not so much that we can't figure out how to respond, but some of our kids have almost gone silent in the face of the stress of dealing with the pandemic, whether it has been a family member's illness, death, job loss. Some of the stories run deep. You know, some of my students, who are English learners, have been sent to the country of their parents because the parent can't work and be at home with their child. And they're fearful of their child becoming ill or making someone in the home ill. So we've had some students who have left the country. They're still our students. We're still in contact with them virtually, but they're not here. So The challenge there to me is how do you address the loss of socio-emotional development for some of our students who have been closeted in homes of either relatives or closeted away from their parents to keep them safe and or even some of them who have to go to babysitters and then their parents pick them up. And maybe when they go, and this is a conversation we had recently, maybe when they go to the babysitter. They don't have internet access, but no one has shared that with us. Or they have to remember, I have to charge my device. I have to take my hotspot with me. And don't let me forget it's at the babysitter, because when I go home, I can't do any work. You know, things that you don't think about. And then something that really struck me the other day, I was having a conversation. And it was around, you know, we have this practice where we say cameras on, because we want our students to know we're there. We want to see them. But think of how inequitable it is. If I'm a student who's new to my class because I started the school year new and I don't know the rest of the students in my class and all of a sudden I have to have them in my home Mm. and I don't want everybody to see what my home looks like. So Mm -hmm. some of the ways that that has been addressed, some of our teachers have done things like giving kids um, a screenshot of what they can use for their backdrop, you know, for their virtual Mm -hmm. screen so that everyone doesn't have to see what you have in your home or what you don't have so that the student feels less stressed about having anybody looking at where the student is doing their work. And, you know, another challenge, I think, for kids who maybe live in a doubled up family situation or who experience or who have experienced homelessness because of the pandemic, because of a loss of economic stability in their family, And they're living doubled up in another family and they don't have their own room. They don't have a desk to work at. And they're trying to Zoom from a tiny little spot in a living room that's not necessarily quiet because there are others in there or there are other children and they can't find a quiet place to work. So how does a school address that issue? Because we're not able to provide you with a quiet space because we can't give you money to move to another house. You know what I'm saying? So 
it becomes a challenge to when you're looking at equity. All we can do is try to provide as much education for the parent to say, okay, ideally your student needs a place where they can do their work and it can be at your kitchen table if there's a kitchen table or it could be in a quiet corner, but where do you find the quiet corners? So those are some of the challenges that, you know, really make you sit down and think. And, you know, the whole idea of requiring students to have their cameras on at all times, sometimes give them permission for everyone to have their cameras off because maybe the children who are not as confident in their surroundings or what they look like or what they're wearing on a given day will be even more confident to speak because my name is on the screen, but I don't necessarily have to put my picture up. Or sometimes Mm -hmm. the teachers give them pictures they can post of themselves. So there's so many different things that we can do as educators to really try to address some of the fears that our students have of being on camera at all times, in person, present, exposed. You know, everyone can see what my home looks like or my mom is sitting over there and, you know, or or whatever else is going on in my home. Mm -hmm. So those are some things that really make you kind of go, hmm, why do we want kids to, to always have cameras on? Yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing how how much there is to think about. You know, I mean, you mentioned several things I've never considered as an equity issue. But to wrap up, how do you feel like your views on equity, have they changed or evolved over time? Um, I would say my views on equity, I thought I was fairly <laughs> um, well-versed in what was equitable because of the work that I do, because I work with diverse populations, with diverse needs. But I really had to rethink my visioning around what was equitable and what would be fair and what would be right because I just, you know, I was looking at it in the the context of normal. Well, we have new normal now. Nothing is as it was, and I don't think we'll ever get back to where we were. We have new norms. We have new normal. And I think I've had to grow in my own thinking and expectation of how is this going to work? How best can we meet the needs of our families and how best we can let them feel supported and encouraged in the face of so much loss? You know, I I tell people all the time, I tell my staff all the time, we're adults, we figure it out, we adjust, but it's the children that I'm most concerned about, what this has done to their emotional well-being and how careful we have to be around the emotional side of the child and their emotional growth and how do we support them as learners and not be so stringent and rigid in our expectations for what we want them to be able to do or know how to do and to kind of give a little latitude because we're not living in perfect times. We're not living in normal times. And we just don't know everything that our kids are experiencing and that our students are experiencing when they're away from us. You know, sometimes you you would think of, okay, everybody looks forward to a holiday weekend. Yay. Well, you know what? For some of our kids, they don't look forward to it because on a holiday weekend, they no longer have the perfection of school, being with that teacher who cares for everything that they're doing, making sure they get all their meals, their snacks, because maybe when they go home, they don't have those things on the holiday weekends. But for our kids, it's one less day of normal. And in the middle of a pandemic, where all, all of their normal was pulled out from under them, sometimes you really have to think the things that we celebrate because 
we have so much, you know, those of us who work and, you know, we have careers and we have jobs and whatnot, our kids, that's not their normal. And having a pandemic just really amplified the divide, the challenge, the, the gap, the need, the loss, you know, so... It, I think it really has made me reflect more deeply on, and to be grateful for what I have. So I don't complain about anything in this pandemic because I think I'm richly blessed and rewarded for what I have. I really need to make sure that those who may not feel that way or don't have as much, that I could do whatever I need to do to try to help these um, families and students because I have no idea what their struggles are.